of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 560. Jason Lingren is with me, and Michelle from Michelle's Healing Home joins us again. Uh, you may remember that Michelle joined us on episode 544. We had a lot of requests to have her back. Basically, what we're going to do here is cover what's good for our pets, for our animals, which is timely. I've had a lot of emails saying, is CBD good for my cat? Is DMSO okay for my pet? We're going to cover all these things. By the way, I've been told that Reco eggs are okay for pets, but then I turned around when I was researching and found out that alcohol is a no-no for pets. So I'm going to bring that up and we'll find out what's what and what will work best for our animal family members. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a rather pleasant December afternoon. I'm wearing flip-flops and it's past mid-December, so I don't know. We we had a storm like you can't imagine come through. It took everything out, but we're 60-some-odd degrees here today. Anyhow, let's jump in and do this. Welcome back, Michelle. Ah, Thank you for having me. It's really lovely to be here with you guys again. Looking forward to getting into this one because this is one of my favorite subjects to cover. I think this is important because a lot of people, like when I first got my Shiba Inu, my dog, it was so different. It wasn't just feed them whatever you fed every dog. And as I got into it, I began to realize at first he got hot spots and I had to work all these things out. So this should be useful information for people. But why don't you quickly tell folks where they can find you online and make contact? Sure. Michelle'sHealingHome.com is the best way to find me. You can access my online store there. You can send me a message. You can book consultations there. You can also find my podcast, which is The Healing Home, on YouTube through my website. That is the best way to get a hold of me. And you can also sign up for my monthly newsletter, my full moon offering newsletter, which comes out on every full moon once a month. All right. Well, you have some pretty in-depth bullet points, which I think we'll stick to, but let's just start. I was told the RecoEgg products were fine for animals. And then as I did research, I read a lot of places that alcohol is a no-no for animals. As you know, the RecoEgg products, most of them are alcohol-based. So what say you? Is it okay to apply RecoEggs to our pets? Well, you know, that's a great question, and that's a good place to start because it's one of the things that people should use caution with is alcohol. And in my experience, my opinion on it, and from working with our cat for over 10 years using herbal tinctures, I would say if you were in a pinch and you only had an alcoholic tincture on hand, you would be able to use it, but sparingly and for a short amount of time. So at low dose, you would be able to use something that is in an alcohol base. That's been my experience. And I think that the one thing to be cautious of is just the length of time you're using it and how much you're giving. So if you had a situation where there was an acute situation, let's say a UTI in an animal, and you have an alcohol-based tincture you could use drop doses and you dilute that in water. And so by the time you're giving it to them, you will be dispersing the alcohol. It won't be as potent, but also you can add the alcoholic tincture to boiled water. And what that will do is that can help evaporate some of the alcohol off. And this is kind of an old tactic that's been used in Western uh, herbal medicine for a long time. You can look it up online. Uh, Rosemary Gladstar is the person I learned this from years ago, but being able to um, evaporate some of that alcohol off 
can help you to administer an alcoholic tincture to, say, a child or a pet? Let me just finish this thought. I know Jason's going to jump in a lot because he's got cats. But what if you took the Recoweg product, took like a tablespoon, put your small dose in the tablespoon, sat the tablespoon on the counter for 30 minutes to let some of the alcohol go away, then did the water mix up? Do you feel like, I I mean, it's not going to get all the alcohol, but how do you feel about approaching it that way? I think some people are going to ask whether the boiled water has an effect on the ingredients for the Recoweg. Yeah, good question. I like the thought of allowing it to sit and and seeing how much you could evaporate off like that. And yes, there is something to be said about perhaps the alcohol, the boiled water maybe, you know, affecting the herb somehow, but I would say that it's not going to affect it so much cuz you're not going to be boiling the tincture in the water like, you know, a long period of time. It would literally be taking boiling some water, distilled water preferably, putting it into a vessel and then putting the alcohol tincture into the the water that has been boiled, but it's not going to be like boiling on a stove or anything like that. If that makes more sense or kind of yeah. helps somebody visualize it. I'm going to throw it over to Jason, but it occurs to me too that you could take some of the Recoweg out of the bottle, put it in a new bottle, the part you're going to use for your pet and just leave it sit with the lid off all night. And, you know, you'll lose some of the alcohol that way, but go ahead, Jason. So as far as differentiating between cats and dogs, now normal house cats, they do vary in size, but not to anywhere near the extremes that dogs do. So how would we have a a good judgment on what to give them since we've spoken about the Recoweg so much here? Yep. That's also a great question. And so I always go, usually a cat I mean, 10 pounds is usually a good place to start, even though there's plenty of cats that aren't quite 10 pounds. So I would go starting with five to 10 drops of whatever alcoholic remedy you're using. That would be my go-to. And what I did for our cat would be to take, let's say I had a two ounce tincture And if I knew that I wanted to evaporate all the alcohol off of this and I was going to use that for our cat, I would take two ounces of boiled water to the two ounces of tincture and I would add that whole two ounce tincture into the two ounces of water. Because what you're doing then is you're making a 50% dilution, which is still going to be shelf stable. That's something else to consider here. So if you're wanting to have something that's going to be stored long term, you're going to want to make sure that it's 50% alcohol if you're working with alcohol. There's other ways to make tinctures for pets that have nothing to do with alcohol as well. So that is something to consider. And that's what I would do. Almost certainly distilled water, right? Yes, definitely you want distilled. And if you're using, if you only have access to tap, because we're working with boiled water, you're going to be eliminating some of the harmful things that could be in tap water. But I always, with making anything that you're going to be ingesting or putting on topically when it comes to remedies, always suggesting distilled water, definitely. Have you had people come to you with specifically Shiba Inu questions? I I didn't realize how different they are. You know, when when you first get a Shiba, they tell you it's more like a cross between a fox and a cat than it is a dog. And there's actually some truth to that. But the diet is crazy because they've now been considered an original breed, which makes them ancient. And where they came up, there was no beef. There's all these other things. 
And I did get hotspots at first. Have you had people approach you with Sheba specific questions? I haven't. No, but it's it's very interesting. I'd love to hear what you know about it, though, because it might be able to spark some things that I already know that could be crossover. But the specific breed I have not worked with. No. Well, just to get it on the table, my dog gets meat every night. The fish is a good thing, like the salmons. But what you'll find is they burn out on it. So what I do is I do two nights in a row of a given meat and I swap. And so far, I haven't found for sure a meat that causes problems. But what I did notice is if you give the coconut oil all the time, that may have been the reason for the hot spot. So I peeled back the coconut oil to just occasionally. What I do is the vegetables, I steam them, the carrots, the broccoli, the green beans. You can look up a list for what Shebas can have, uh, Brussels sprouts. And so what I do is I make brown organic rice always brown. I use the meat. I cook the meat. I don't do the raw diet. That's something people can opt for, but there's a whole different bunch of concerns. And then I take a portion of the steamed veggies and that's what he gets every night. And he looks absolutely wonderful. But Jason, I think we better jump into the bullet points. There's a lot here to get through. Let's move forward. All right, go ahead. Lead us in. So why choose herbal and natural remedies for cats and pets? Well, just on the surface, I'd say that sounds like common sense, knowing how much crap they put in everything these days, right? Indeed. Yes. And it is kind of common sense. Once you start to understand that there's this whole other world of plants, right? A lot of people don't really know that at first. So it might not come off as common sense. But once you start to learn these things for yourself, you realize that if you're doing these natural, healthy herbal things for you and your family, there's no reason to not do it for your pets. Because in my opinion, our pets require the exact same healthy protocols that we do. Uh, And so I also see that animals, in my experience, respond really well to plants. And I think it's because of just like some of the stuff we talked about in our first episode together, this energetic connection that we have with plants, that plants have with us, that we have with nature. And I think animals, because they are more connected to nature in a different sort of way, in a more primal way, I think that when you start giving them plants, they're almost there's almost like this reuniting that happens in them and they light up, their vitality comes back just like it does with us. And so I think that's one of the best reasons why you should consider this for your pets because it's also preventative medicine. And one of the things that happens to humans along with pets is you can go for a while, maybe coasting and not maybe taking care of yourself or paying attention to certain things. But at some point, all those not so savory choices will catch up to you. And it happens to the animals. It happens to them when we take them into these more allopathic places to have treatments, you realize that there's a lot of side effects to what they do. And with herbs and plants, there's little to no side effects. You know, it's a sad thing to say, but the animals are getting it as bad as we are. Uh, When I first got my dog, uh, it was what, two months, I think, Jason, two months before COVID broke. And the vet had a schedule of something like 12 or 13 inoculations in his first, I don't remember what it was. I want to say two years of life. And I said, you're high. You're not putting 12 (laughs) shots in my dog. God did not forget how to make dogs since you've learned how to make all these inoculations. 
But what's worse is I noticed there's an all-time high. When I was leaving San Diego, I had realized there's an all-time high that I was seeing cancers. And the kinds of cancers I was seeing were horrible. They were like these big tumors all over dogs' bodies and cats' bodies and on their heads. And I began to realize that the animals are getting it like we're getting it. And that if you just go feed out of a can and feed kibble and you're not learning about it and getting the best you can, you're probably creating future cancer. But that speaks to exactly what we're getting into here. As it stands now, I cannot take my dog into the vet. They won't let me through the door because I wouldn't allow him to get 12 inoculations or what it was in the first two years. But let's burn through the first bunch of bullet points here so we can get into the meat and potatoes. So basically, the preventative medicine lifestyle is what we're getting into. And it is your contention that the animals respond really well to plant-based or homeopathic remedies. Yes, indeed. One of the benefits is they're gentle. Everyone knows this about most homeopathic remedies, but there's no side effects in these things. Correct. Yeah. And there are a few plants that we have to be cautionary of when we're when we're working with our pets because pets are different and, and cats are different than dogs and we're different than cats and dogs. So it's all about doing your research, which we'll get into later on with more of the plants that you really want to lean into. Some of them, depending on your cat or dog's condition already, there's certain herbs that you might want to only use sparingly or something like that. But for the most part, all the very nutrient dense plants that can be given to them on a daily basis are going to do no harm and only make them better, healthier and happier. And that that to me is like the ultimate end goal, just like it is for all of us, you know, and I just think that there's also always the option if you're wanting to go to a vet to look for a holistic vet. They do exist. Uh, that is the type of vet we took our cat to for many years. And I always felt much more comfortable taking him to a holistic vet versus an allopathic vet. But I also was able to gather enough of an arsenal for myself. And as I grew as an herbalist, I realized that, wow, we can actually do a lot of this stuff at home. And I guess that's one of the things I wanted to make sure to uh, put out there for people is this is part of becoming more of a sovereign individual. This is part of taking personal responsibility for not only yourself, but your pets and your family and, and their well-being in general. And I think that a lot of us, particularly a lot of people listening and us here in the chat are wanting to separate ourselves from the main system as much as possible and not be as dependent on it. And this is just another really great step to take to do that and to empower yourself and to know that you don't have to be afraid to try these things. As long as you do your research, you're smart and you use common sense and you pay attention to your pets. And I think that's one of the biggest things too. I feel like a lot of times one of my biggest pet peeves is when I hear someone go, ah, it's just a cat. Ah, it's just a dog. And it, it, I always think, no, it's so much, there's so much more than that. You know, they, they are part of your family and they have their own intricate systems for a reason and they need nurturing and nourishment just as much as we do. So I think a lot of it's a mindset as well. And becoming independent is one of the best ways to just continuously learn and to empower yourself and your pets. Well, the empowerment of it, we've been so marketed when I was in the seventies, People did not just take their pets to the vet. They didn't do it. 
if you if they were interested in getting their pet what they used to call fixed, which I always had a problem with saying that, but to get them spayed or neutered, they'd go to a vet. If the pet was injured, they'd go to a vet. But it's not like it is now where people take their, like for a checkup and things like this, like we get. But when you walk into the vet's office now, it's not a lot different than a people hospital. Oh, well, we need to run this battery of tests and get all these x-rays. And it's become something completely other. And I'm with you on that because it lessens your responsibility. But do you feel like there's resources for people? Like I can imagine people out there thinking, well, how would I know what remedies or what herbs to use? Are there resources or do they really need to make contact with someone like you that already knows? Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. There are quite a bit of resources. Uh, There's lots of people like myself out there, but there's also a lot of really great books on this topic. And one of them in particular that I wanted to make sure to suggest to people is called Veterinarian Secrets, Natural Health for Dogs and Cats. And this book is by Andrew T. Jones, who is a veterinarian. The interesting thing about his story is that he was a vet in Canada and he started to learn that there were alternatives to the allopathic way of veterinary medicine. And he started his own website. He started a blog and he had a newsletter and he started treating his dog with certain plants and natural remedies. And he got a lot of kickback from it, from the community in Canada, his fellow colleagues. And he ended up uh, having, he was taken to court. He had to get rid of his practice. He was stripped of his license. This is a common story we hear with a lot of natural healers, a lot of herbalists who are finding out these alternative ways. The big brother comes down on them and says, no, you can't do that because you're telling people to do the exact opposite of what we do. But what was happening with him is he realized because he had given his dog certain vaccines, he followed the protocol that is a typical protocol for vaccines and his dog got cancer. And as soon as that happened, he realized he needed to make a switch. So that's when he started being public about this stuff. And then he got penalized for it. But he continues to put out this information. And I highly recommend this book because he goes through so many valuable things from general colds that come on with dogs and cats, kennel cough, things like that, to more intricate things like diabetes and cancer and how you can deal with this at home by yourself also contacting someone like himself or a more holistically minded vet. You know, that's a really great book. Another really good one is uh, by a man called Dr. Kidd. He's uh, also a veterinarian and he it's just Dr. Kidd's Guide to Herbal Cat Care. He also has one for dogs as well. Those are really great books because they have just like the resources of the herbs, but also other supplements that can be used. Like we were talking about in the beginning with DMSO, MSM sulfur is another one. You know, there's all sorts of supplements that can be used as well. So those are two good resources, two good authors that I would point people in the direction of. Lots of information on places like YouTube as well. That would be my first place to go is make sure you have a a really solid book with this information so you can consistently reference it. Make sure that you email us those two books so we can include them in the links. But uh, Jason, do you remember Do you remember the name of the guy who's the original TV Robin from Batman and Robin? Is it Burt Ward? Burt Ward, that is correct. 
Okay, so I want to ask you, Michelle, have you heard Burt Ward's claim? I saw no. it like like two months ago. This is insane. There's this big ad, and he's got these big dog food bags, and they look like comic books. There's like pictures all over the outside. He claims that he found a dog food recipe that allows dogs to live into their 20s, and that's astonishing on its own. But he's showing big dogs, and everybody knows that some of the big dogs, they, you know, they go eight, 10 years. You know, if you're getting 12 years from those big dogs, you are really doing something. But he is claiming that he has a dog food that will take like Great Danes or something like this. I, don't, I might be exaggerating a little bit there into their 20s. You're not familiar with that? No, I'm not. I definitely want to look into it, though. Yeah, you got to look at it because I want to I want to hear what you're going to say about it. But we definitely got to get the books into the linkage. But anyhow, Jason, go ahead. It's all you. All right, Michelle. So let's touch on preventative medicine and lifestyle. All righty. Yeah, this is a crucial one. I mean, just like us, we thrive when our environments are clean, relatively clean. You know, we don't have to be clean freaks, but you know what I mean. An organized, nice, calm, warm, welcoming space. I mean, who doesn't appreciate that? animals are the same way. So I think that keeping these things in mind is really crucial when you're taking into account your animal's well-being because all these things matter. And the preventative side of this is just continuing to check in with your pets, being very observant. I think that's one of the things that I learned the most with applying these types of remedies and mentalities to pet care is to pay attention, to not avoid things, to really understand your pet's patterns. You know, what do they do on a daily basis? Just like they know your patterns very well, it's very important to know theirs as well because as soon as something is off, you'll know, and then you can start to think about what you may need to do in order to mitigate a potential problem that might be arising for them. You know, ask them questions, check-ins, you know, check on what they're doing on a regular basis to make sure that things seem all right. And I think that's part of the preventative medicine that I always applied. You know, it might sound not like, well, it wasn't a specific herb, but the preventative stuff is just paying attention a lot of times. The other thing too is as I was building my apothecary and my apothecary has been, I've been building it for over a decade now and it's a continuous build. You know, I'm always adding things, I'm changing things, I'm making things, what have you. But I've always continuously built my apothecary with pets in mind. And I think that's part of the preventative medicine that people can start to apply as well. If you're already starting a little small medicine cabinet, if you have pets, Maybe start to look into what are the herbs that are good for pets, like stinging nettle. It is seriously one of the best herbs or plants you can have for yourself, but also your pets, because this is such a nutrient-dense plant that you can be brewing a tea or an infusion, and you can administer stinging nettle tea to them daily. And it can be as simple as taking a eighth cup or less or a couple tablespoons and pouring it over their food. They're not even going to probably know the difference. And some cats are more picky than dogs. Yes. But I would bet that most cats wouldn't mind if they had a little bit of extra moisture in their food. And these are little ways that you can start doing it. I would suggest people start with the preventative medicine through teas. 
teas, decoctions, and infusions because it's uh, very gentle. You're not having any sort of alcohol involved. And it's literally just as though you were giving them a small cup of tea, but doing that on a daily basis. So are there any must-haves that you would say if you're going to start growing things that you absolutely, you should definitely have this, 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 and this? Yes, I would definitely say that the nettle for sure. And nettle is kind of more interesting. It's, you know, it's going to be, you can find it a lot more in the wild, but you can also cultivate nettle and grow it. That is definitely number one. Sage is another one that I highly recommend people have around and start growing. Uh, Just garden sage, you know, just culinary sage is perfect. Rosemary is another wonderful one to have around. Uh, And this is going to be another herb that can be given, you know, maybe a couple times a week as a tea. And you can start rotating things. You know, that's something that I like to do and always did with Carl was that it was just like, all right, we're going to do we'll do a nettle tea for this week. And then next week I would move on to rosemary tea, but I would do rosemary tea for maybe two days. And then I would switch back over to the nettle. Comfrey is another one. Uh, A lot of times, sometimes people get afraid of having comfrey internally, but I want to stress that the comfrey that is cultivated, the comfrey that is used, if you're going to buy it at an herb shop, is completely safe. Sometimes people think that comfrey can be taxing on the liver and you're going to read articles about it causing liver damage and stuff. And there's actually different types of comfrey. And the comfrey that that myth is based on is actually the wild comfrey that you would find out in the woods somewhere. And that's much higher in alkaloids than the cultivated comfrey. So kind of wanted to bring that to the table as well, because comfrey is another one of those really nutrient dense mucilogenic herbs. So if you are having something going on where your dog or cat is coughing or something, or they have asthma, or even if there's something topical like a hot spot, you know, you can be making comfrey tea. They can be having that internally, but they can, you can also use it externally to be soothing the skin, repairing the skin. If there's any sort of injury or a bite or something like that, you know, comfrey would be wonderful. So those would be my top herbs that come to mind, really, that I think are pretty crucial to have around that can be really supportive in a lot of different ways. What's the example, though? So let's say that I want to make a rosemary or a sage tea, break down how you actually do it. How much, you know, how long do you boil it? Just run through the process. Sure. Yeah. So depending on how much you'll want to use, if you let's say you're going to make let's say you're going to make a quart. You're going to make a quart of rosemary tea. So what I would do in that in that instance would be take one ounce of dried rosemary. If you're using fresh rosemary, take two ounces, put that into your quart mason jar, boil yourself some water, and then pour the water over the herb. Now you can let that steep. With rosemary, it's kind of bitter. It's aromatic. So you won't need to steep as long as maybe nettle would. So I would probably steep the rosemary tea maybe for anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, depending on how strong. I would start with 20 minutes at first because it's not going to be as strong as it would be if it's steeped longer. This would be used in more of like an acute case. If you were dealing with something that you're noticing, you know, they're having some kind of 
congestion or their uh, tissues are kind of lax and they're needing to be tightened or something like that, that would be where I would use that. And for nettle, let's say, because nettle would be something that you could use more on like a daily basis, I would take one ounce of dried nettle to one quart of boiling water. And I would steep that overnight, actually. And then you're making an infusion. And then you're going to have a quart of nettle that you can store in the refrigerator for three days. You would do the same thing with the rosemary infusion. You store it in the refrigerator, keep it for about three days. And if you're dealing with a dog, you're probably going to cycle through it faster than you would a cat. So you can knock that recipe down in half. So you could make a half batch. So then you would start with like a half ounce of the herb to just the 16 ounces of water or whatever. Um, and that that is a good place to get started. And you can do this with all sorts of herbs. And that's what I would always do. Since we're on herbs, what can you tell us about catnip? Ah, catnip. Well, a member of the mint family and everyone mostly has heard how crazy it makes cats. You know, they love it. They go nuts for it. It's the scent that they really love. Uh, and not all cats like it. You know, some cats go nuts for it. Other cats, they don't really pay too much attention to it. Uh, I've seen cats literally eat it fresh. Like they'll just go right up to <laughs> right up to the plant and start chewing the leaves. It's going to make them kind of wacky in the beginning. And then it really relaxes them, which is classic for the herb or for the mint family plants. They're usually more relaxing in a lot of ways, whether that be relaxing gases and things like that, or just the nervous system in general. So it's kind of interesting that they're they're so attracted to it. And another one that a lot of cats like is valerian root. And they can be really attracted to the scent of that. The um, scent of valerian root sometimes is compared to like dirty feet, <laughs> which is kind of, uh, you know, off-putting to some people. But cats, some cats seem to really enjoy it and are really attracted to it. And it kind of has more of a sedative property to it. But in some people, valerian root will, it'll actually keep them awake. So it kind of has almost the same actions as the catnip would, if you think about it, how it might make them wacky at first and then relax them at, at, at you know, when they're coming down from the initial catnip high or whatever. You know, I noticed when you were talking about making the tinctures, you recognized the thing that I was taught in chef school. And I'll mention it because I don't know if a lot of people are aware of it. There's a difference in potency between dried herbs and fresh herbs, but it's backwards to what most people would think. The dried herbs are more concentrated and powerful in cooking, or at least what I was taught in chef school was if I had a dried tablespoon of, say, rosemary, the equivalent fresh would be three tablespoons. And I think people should know that just because I noticed when you were doing it, you recognized that you took twice as much of the fresh as you did the dried. And I would also add, so would you allow them to eat the catnip and eat the valerian root if they wanted to? Uh, not so much the valerian root. I, I don't know. I've never seen a cat eat it. I've only seen them be attracted to the scent, but the catnip Definitely, I think, is safe for them to eat. But just like anything, you know, I've seen videos of people just opening a bag of catnip and letting them go nuts. I wouldn't suggest doing that. I mean, if you give them catnip and it's maybe a teaspoon or something and they eat it, it will do them no harm, really. And I think it depends on the cat. I think some of them just 
are different, just like people, you know, they'll go for it and they're going to chomp it down and other cats just want to smell it and be fine with it. I just think it's, it's all an individual basis, really. But I don't think there uh, should be anything to be worried about necessarily if they were to eat the catnip, even the valerian root, too, if they were to eat it. Uh, but it might it could knock them out like it could make them very sleepy, the valerian root. Well, let's talk about cannabis. So when I was young, we were driving to church and we saw two kittens on the side of the road. And my mother said, when we get back from Sunday school, if they're still there, we'll pick them up. Luckily, we were out in the middle of nowhere in East County in San Diego. And believe it or not, we were coming home and those two cats were by the side of Highway 94 in San Diego. Unreal that they were still there. We pulled over and got them. They were brother and sister. One was long-haired, the other one was short-haired. The short-haired cat became my cat. He lived to be 22. But here's the point I'm getting at. When I was young, as everybody knows, I smoked a lot of dope. Whenever I smoked pot, that cat always came and would put his, like he wanted to get close to the smoke and he would sit on my chest if I had smoked pot and breathe my breath. Now, the other cat didn't want anything to do with it. So how do you feel about cats and dogs and cannabis? Great question. And I love that story, actually. I, I can visualize that happening. And uh, that's pretty cool, actually. And it makes me think about just how cats and dogs have their own personalities. And, you know, who knows what that cat saw in maybe perhaps another life or something and was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I remember the days or whatever. One of his other nine lives. <laughs> yeah. And so I love that story. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So with cannabis. I think that CBD is a great option for pets. And I saw major, major benefits and improvements in multiple cats and even dogs that I've suggested it for in our own cat as well. I think as they age, it's really great. There is something to be said, though, about just like we're talking about, every pet is different. So I've also had it where my dad was giving CBD to one of their golden retrievers. And he had a pretty big aversion to it. He got very anxious, you know. So again, going back to the paying attention and administering things at low dose at first, observing, like really observing, paying attention, and just then assessing and going from there. And so I think I've heard of it more in dogs that the CBD can sometimes produce anxiety in them. So something to think about, but it's a really great option. And I always suggest tinctures with this. And a lot of times the tinctures are actually just infused oil. So one of the pet tinctures that I like is by a company called Lazarus Naturals. I can send you the link to that as well. They're actually based out here in the Pacific Northwest. Super high quality. They do full spectrum. They also do just, you know, iso isolated CBD for pets and humans, but their tincture is the highest quality and it's made in a base of uh, MCT coconut oil. And it's easy to administer. You can put it right into their food. I'd start with maybe, you know, four drops, depending. They have all of the weight base measurements and, and dosages, you know, very clearly label on their labels. But that is one of the best things that you can do, I think, as a preventative. And also, like I said, as your pets are aging, just like us, there's aches, there's pains, 
They could have underlying arthritis that's developing and you don't know. And having CBD on a daily basis or maybe a few times a week can really, really improve their state of well-being, in, in my opinion. I think CBD is a big, big deal, but I think people need to be really careful with pets. And I'll use myself again as the example. I spent the first half of my life stoned. There was not a day go by that I was not smoking pot. And I grew up in a culture where that was the norm. Now, I went into the Marine Corps, and by the time I got back out of the Marine Corps, I don't know what happened. I mean, I know the pot got more powerful, but it's almost like I'm allergic to it now. It is literally, to me, if I got stoned right now, it would be torture to me every second that I was high. Sometimes not quite torture, but other times, like, I don't know what happened, whether I'm allergic to it or what. And I have seen people who are using it for hip dysplasia and things on animals in dogs where they become very uneasy. And I would just urge people, I mean, you're doping your dog or you're doping your animal, make sure that they're okay with it. Because if you put that into them and they react like I react to it, that's a bit like torture, particularly for an animal. So I think you just need to be really certain that it's copacetic, that the animal is okay with it. Yeah, potheads, yeah. just because you like it doesn't mean that the animal's gonna like it. So. Don't be selfish. <laughs> it's the CBD is a little bit different too. Like with my cat, we, we had found out when I was young, apparently if you blow pot smoke in a cat's ears, they get high. Well, my cat wanted us to do that. He would literally find us if we were smoking, but the other cat, not at all, would get away from us. So I think it's, they're, they're a lot like we are. It just depends on the individual. Before we leave the herbs thing and all that, are there any absolute do not have around for cats and dogs? Uh, for cats and dogs. You know, one of them is white willow bark. You can use this sparingly, but the salicylic acid in the white willow bark can be toxic. Isn't that aspirin? Are you talking about aspirin? It is. Yeah. And that that's that's what aspirin was created with. But specifically in cats, the white willow bark can be kind of toxic, toxic to them. This is a controversial one because there's some people that say you can use it very sparingly at low dose and they've never seen any side effects, but other people weigh on more of the side of caution on that one. I've never seen any super bad side effects from it, but it is one that I kind of caution people with. One of them, if there's like if you have dogs around that maybe sometimes get into food that they're not supposed to or they steal something off the counter or whatever, if you have anything that has like xylitol in it or anything that's labeled sugar-free, xylitol can be super toxic, definitely to dogs for sure. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. If you like to give your dogs table scraps or, or peanut butter, sometimes there's, there's weird sugar-free things added to things that you might not realize. So that's something to be aware of definitely as well. And the white willow bark though, it definitely is, like I said, more controversial. So I would say do your research on it. And you can make your own assessments for sure. And pennyroyal is another one that can be very toxic to cats. 
sometimes Penny Royal isn't very is talked. It's not talked about too too much. You hear Penny Penny Royalty and all that kind of stuff as song in songs and folk culture and stuff. But that's one that's also in the mint family that can sometimes even look similar to catnip because it is a mint and it has a lot of the same shapes, uh, you know, of the structure of the leaves and stuff. Although the catnip leaves are bigger than the Penny Royal, but it looks very similar. It has a lot of the sim- more similar characteristics. So if you're going out and you wanted to harvest and you thought, oh, this is this is catnip and whatever, just really, really, really make sure that it is because that's definitely one that you need to be aware of and cautious of. Is there a difference in the smell of them? Like when you smell the plant? Yeah, definitely different. The Penny Royal almost has more of a spearmint scent to it, whereas the catnip doesn't really smell very minty, so to say, but it has more of like a a musty kind of earthy smell to it. It smells more like grass to me. I didn't even think about it. It doesn't seem very minty to me in the least. Yeah, no. And that's that's the tricky thing about some of the mints is that they they don't smell like mint, but, you know, they're part of the mint family. But a lot of them, they always have a square stem. That's one thing that is an indicator of a mint family for sure. You know, because even lavender, lavender's in the mint family, Uh, but it's not that's not minty at all. You know, total opposite of mint, actually, if you ask me. (laughs) But it, it has that square stem. And then again, it has those calming attributes to it. Any other super no-nos we should be concerned about? Because the reason I'm bringing this up is because when Rose was growing uh, with the little aquaponic things, some of the cats would go and just start munching on the leaves and stuff. So, (laughs) yeah, I find, too, that a lot of times it's more of houseplants. Houseplants are a little bit you have to be a little bit more cautious with uh, like lilies. If you grow lilies in your house, if that's something you enjoy, there's lilies also that grow outside in the wild, too. But lilies are very toxic to cats. So that's something to be aware of. A lot of people know about like the poinsettias and stuff, which is more of a seasonal plant. But, you know, the amount of cats that will just go for a plant and start chomping on it, uh, that that is definitely something to be aware of. And the lilies are a big one that uh, can be really, really bad for them, for sure. Wisteria is another one. And wisteria is super toxic. As a matter of fact, they're probably are more poisonous ornamental houseplants than non. You know, those little crawler things, the the crawling one that people grow in their homes, I forget the name of it, but it's like, it puts off a shoot and then there's a bunch. It's common in- in Oh, a spider plant? Yeah, like a spider plant. Um, my, My sister's cat had liver failure because it chewed on one of those. But here's a list that I found real quick that matches pretty closely with the things that you shouldn't give your animals- Garlic, black pepper, pennyroyal, as you mentioned, onion powder, chamomile, yucca, chives, tea tree oil. Now, this is a big one because tea tree oil is so beneficial. There is, I've never found anything better for killing mold on contact, but it gives off quite a scent. And my Sheba is like a bloodhound, smells better than any dog I've ever had. So I'm just putting it out there because I don't know that I would want to use it where he would be stuck breathing it. Wormwood is one not to do. Hops, comfrey is on the list, as you mentioned. Tarragon, tomatoes, white willow, as you mentioned. Cocoa powder or almost any kind of chocolate. Uh, Ma Wang, I don't even know what that is. Marjoram, and there's lists like this you can find. But here's the interesting thing. With my Sheba, 
there are really particular things that almost any dog could probably have that Sheba shouldn't. One of those things is avocados. When I was in San Diego, my neighbor had these fantastic avocado plants and his dogs had the best coats and he attributed it because they'd go grab the avocados and eat them. It is a known thing that Sheba shouldn't get them. Point is, you really kind of do need to do research and know about your particular breed. Is there anything else you want to try to get in hour one before we prep up for hour two, Michelle? Sure. You know, the Moa Wang that you uh, brought up is a Fedra, by the oh, way. Oh, I knew I recognized it. That's why. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's one, like I, I'm, I have a list here too, that I, I wrote up my notes and stuff, but yeah, that's definitely one to be cautious of. And the other thing that I'll say, kind of like what I brought up the comfrey, you know, there's going to be, there's always varying opinions, but even in a couple of the books that I suggested, you know, they talk about using chamomile tea and stuff like that. So I think it comes back to like we talked about of observation, you know, if you're wanting to try things, you just have to be cautious, but keeping these lists that you just listed off and what we're talking about in mind is super important because sometimes it's not worth testing it. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's worth just being like, well, they say to, to weigh on the side of caution. Yeah. So I'm just going to do that, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I want to stress with this episode as well, because I think there's just a lot of fear around doing these things for our pets and for good reason, because they can't talk to us. They can't tell us just like you're saying with the CBD, they can't say, Oh, I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> they can't tell us that. You know, <laughs> they all they could do is go wag their tail more, look at you, pace the house, want to go outside. You know, that is their language. Their language is nonverbal and it's all physical. So, yes, I think that this is a really great combination. I'm I'm really enjoying this conversation with you guys because it's really nice to bounce these things off of other pet owners who are aware of these things, who want to uh, incorporate stuff, but also do it safely. And that's just like the biggest thing, because what we are trying to avoid ultimately is relying on going to an outside source. So the more safe and cautious we can be, the better. And the more we can just be aware and use common sense and observe behaviors of our animals and pets and how it affects them, that is like just the best bet always. So that's what I would definitely stress as seconding what you guys are also saying too. I think it might be a little easier for dog owners than cat owners because what I'm noticing uh, as I went through the list of things they should not have that you were laying down, almost every one of them for dogs said that they'll vomit and have diarrhea. So pretty easy tell if your dogs had something, you know, if they, if they're throwing up or having diarrhea, chances are, you know, there's something there. Here's another interesting thing too. I have a mint planted. Like I have a, a an herb garden. I have always have an herb garden, but I have an herb garden. That's like my kitchen herb garden that I plant every year next to the door is a mint. Uh, my Sheba pees on that mint every day. So that tells me something about how he feels about the mint. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, you know, cause Sheba's are, they're clean to a fault. Yeah. I mean, you will never need to clean up a Sheba. They are so clean. He potty trained his own self in two days, had one accident when he was brand new. But I, I realized the other day, cause I'm always cleaning the pee stain away that he doesn't care for that mint too much. Interesting. I wonder what mint it is. I'd love to find out what that is that he's. Uh... It's it's actually a spearmint. Oh, OK. Actually, a spearmint. Interesting. 
But all right, why don't you tell folks one more time where they can find you and your work and we'll prep up, come back for hour two. Sure. Michelle'sHealingHome.com is the best place to find me. You can also find me on Instagram as well at Michelle's Healing Home. I highly recommend people sign up for my monthly full moon offering newsletter. It's the best way to keep in touch with me, to know my uh, recent appearances, to find out about the podcast, and also find out the remedies that I have available for people to purchase and what I'm making at the current moment. To me, what we're talking about kind of mirrors the era that we're moving into where either you're going to be a person who just gets told what to do all the time, or you're going to take responsibility. And to me, that's what we're talking about. Are you a person who's going to schedule a vet checkup on your dog every month, regardless of whether there's any reason to do it? Or are you going to be a person that learns? What does this breed need? What can I do? Are you going to be hands-on responsible in the life of that animal? And for my part, I mean, when you were a kid, Jason, did people take their pets to the vet just because? Did they schedule like checkups just because? I don't feel like they did. And this is something I was going to mention earlier, but we got onto a different subject. It seems like with pets and vets, it's just as obsessive. People today are just as obsessive as they are with themselves, with the mainstream medical. So many people just every little thing they want to go running and crying to a doctor of some sort. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I was taken aback. And this is right as COVID was breaking when I had to go bring my dog in for the first time and immediately was in the state of Rhode Island. It is the law that he gets the rabies shot. And then she hands me a sheet with this inoculation schedule. And I literally said, you're out of your cotton pick and freaking mind. I said, my dog is not getting all this crap shot into him. I said, why would he need that? And they start launching into this, well, medicine's come a long way speech. And I basically said two things to her. I said, did God forget how to make dogs in the last 20 years? And the second thing was, is this dog my property? Because if it's my property, you don't tell me how to administer my property. And then they launch into the whole, this is the law, that's the law. And I basically said, you're not doing this. And they said, there's the door, don't come back through it. And to this day, it's that way, but I don't care because I I will not be there unless there's some emergency. If there's emergency, I guess I'll show up at the pet hospital. But anything else to add, Jason? I'm going to wrap up here. No, not for hour one, but for hour two, I really like that you have on here on how to pick a holistic vet, because that's something that I've been thinking about. Well, there's a couple more things like we got to touch on the DMSO and the apple cider. There's a few things that I still get emails on and I end up referring people. But anyhow, that's hour one of episode 560 with Jason Lindgren and Michelle from Michelle's Healing Home. We're going to prep up real quick and come back for hour two. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. Members get access to all of the forums. They can create forums. They have access to all comments and they can download and watch the two hour film called Shoot the Moon anytime they want. And it's just packed full of all the insane things I filmed through telescopes and with my high-end cameras. With that, we're going to prep up. I hope to see you logged in as a member for hour two. And I'd like to wish everybody a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.